0: Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by The Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at indiegame.business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business.
1: Hi, everyone. Good morning, I guess, to everyone in the US listening right now. Good afternoon to everyone here with me in Europe and good evening, I guess, to everyone in Asia. My name is Max. I'm one of the managing partners um, from One Capital. And today I would love to talk to you guys about um, different methods of funding and um, hopefully also give you guys a little bit of an idea of how to determine what the right one is for you, right? Because at the end of the day, There's a lot of different options out there. Um, But before we dive into all of this, and to save everyone a little bit of time today as well, it's very important for me that we have the right audience here today. So before we dive into the different methods, um, we want to discuss, or I would like to discuss a little bit more with you, um, publishing versus self-publishing. Because I think this talk is more tailored towards people that um, really want to follow a path of self-publishing route. And um, it's important for me that, you know, we, we can have a good conversation um, about this um, going. If you are uncertain which route to take, we will take a little bit of time at the beginning to kind of like address exactly, you know, self-publishing, uh, publishing before we dive into the different methods of funding that are out there. I've also seen that there's quite a lot of like conversations and talks about, um, you know, Kickstarter projects and crowdfunding. That's something I'm not gonna address I'm on purpose today because I think we have fantastic speakers um, at this event. Um, that are going to cover uh, this kind of um, method of, you know, financing your your operations or um, any any perspective that you're looking to do. Um, maybe a little bit about myself, just very quickly um, in in a nutshell. At least I try to do so. Um, my name is Max. I'm currently sitting here in the north of Germany in Hamburg. Um, which is famous for its harbor and its red light district, I would say. But we are also a very strong city in Europe when it comes to actually gaming. So we, we have a you know strong hub here. Um, but I'm originally based or normally based in London. Um, given with everything that's going on in this world right now, um, we just you know went to the other office in, in, in Germany um, and, and still stuck. Um, but I guess with the, the, the uh, you know, the perks of being an online event, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, I come from a finance background. I started with investment banking, um, then took a very strong turn towards more like you know the advertising marketing route i've built offices in new york and london for um you know larger agency groups i've launched and built an own agency that has now over four offices globally in europe and in asia um, which is still operating um where i just became a board member now in order to focus Myself, I'm full-time on one of Capital, which is a user acquisition fund. We'll talk and address that as well a little bit today. You don't have to take notes. You don't have to sit there and, um, you know, write your hands, uh, uh, you know, write as much as possible. You are going to receive a deck. Because I'm not presenting anything today, I want to focus exactly on addressing you guys. Um, You know, you don't have to take notes. Um, You're going to receive a deck that kind of summarizes key points and gives you a little bit of like you know a write-up in terms of everything that we've been going through today um and yeah please feel free to ask any questions um i, I hope i'll you know I'll, I'll be made aware of them and i'm looking forward to those now so first things first um publisher or self-publishing i wanted to do a little bit of an course into that direction before we dive into the actual matter of of um today's um talk right um now we, we all are probably aware of like you know the advantages that you know a publisher can have right I mean it's, it's almost like a full service house that can give you access to QA testing to localization obviously to money um, which is you know kind of the key factor here uh, which then allows you to do advertising and while well, historically speaking a little bit more also for development but that has changed in my opinion in the recent years that it's more focused on you know, titles that already are about to be launched or that are ready to launch and that the actual funding and financing comes more like for, you know, the the global launches or the local launches and so on, right? And when it comes to self-publishing, it's kind of like, you know, a startup, right? You you have to come up with some funds, you have to pay rent, it's all a little bit scary. It's a very different nature um, itself. So my point here is that, you know, when trying to make a decision between what route to choose, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to look at pros and cons here. I mean, of course, you're going to can kind of put those down and, and, and see what, what makes sense the most for you. But I think it all boils down to the very essential question or fundamental question of what is your mindset, right? Compare this maybe to would you rather go and work for someone or build your own company? Right. So I think, like, you know, the very first step in, in, in terms of, like, what am I going to do with my title um, before I even think about different financing options? is kind of like discussing that fundamental question of self-publishing versus publishing. And I don't want to say one is good or bad. It, 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 it all has perks and downsides. Right. It, it's really just about, like, who you are as a person and what you are willing to do for it. Right. So when you, for example, compare it to, like, you know, an everyday job, you know if you work for someone let's say that's the publisher route you get a monthly income you get your royalties you have like a little bit of security stability which gives you time for example then focus on other projects again it gives you time to focus on maybe like another hobby and so on and um, you know you give away responsibility um, and someone else has to take care of that and um, in exchange you also have to give away ownership right so so obviously you give away an ip um but you you, you get a lot of upset for it now Going the other route, self-publishing, as a venture itself, it obviously you know can be a bit scary because you're going into uncharted waters maybe, you don't know what's going to happen, how to fund the game and so on, and that's what we're gonna discuss a little bit more today, right? So um, I think, if you're undecided so say in the talk i would love that obviously um but, but keep in mind you know we can do pro and con lists but it's it's about your mindset and and, and the kind of character trait that, that that you have um and that that will help you i think to decide exactly that fundamental question right um going a step further now in exactly you know the different types and why we're here today right um we want to discuss four different types of funding um which is venture capital um banks very similar to banks, the idea of using credit cards and um, user acquisition funds. Um, well, first of all, I hope I'm not. I'm a bit biased, obviously, but I'm trying to keep it as um, Swiss as possible. Let's put it like this. Um, but we obviously also, like you know, see um, increase in those companies popping up. You might already have talked to a few at other events or, or heard about them. So I think you know they they starting to have more and more have their absolute right to 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 be here, as mentioned before. Um, crowdfunding, Kickstarter projects, so on, because that's covered in a lot of other um, talks um, this week. Um, I'm going to leave this one out. We are going to um, start comparing them, obviously, um, but again, because this is so situation-based and I'm not sure in front of who I'm sitting right now today, if you have an app or it's a PC and console title, is it maybe like something that goes into the A direction or is it very, very, very indie that you're just like doing right now? Like, you know, everything can be, you know um suited to, to to um different purposes so we're trying to like you know keep a broad unbiased look at everything starting off with the you know i think the old school classical version of it talking about banks right i mean banks are the most straightforward solution because i think they're omnipresent they obviously you know um are having quite good interest rates in in, in a lot of countries at the moment so we're trying to keep the geog- geographical point in mind that we have probably audiences from the from europe and from um from 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 the us and maybe asia today here um but in, in most geolocations we, we see very good interest rates so so banks can be quite attractive because what you can do is you can both um obviously get a loan as an individual or as a company which kind of gives you a little bit of flexibility here in the way of how you want to structure that now the downside to this and this is something that a lot of people tend to forget like getting a loan is a form of debt right so we're talking about debt funding here and, and when we talk about debt funding there's a liability attached to it right and um we, we have to obviously like keep in mind that you know should um a game not perform in a certain period or in a certain month the bank still is going to ask for their returns right so one thing that is really important here to 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 keep in mind is um if the economy for example is um going in a direction that is not helping your game so there's external factors or there's internal factors so that the game's not monetizing well, for example. No matter what happens, you're kind of stuck with um, you know, whatever you have signed up on. So it gives you a little bit of a level of inflexibility. On the other hand, it's very approachable. Right. So when we're looking at banks, I think it's important to keep in mind for who this might be a good option. In, in, in what we've seen and the companies that we've talked to in the past, banks certainly make sense for companies that have been out there for a little bit longer, right? Because when you have a bank account, the purpose of being a banking with the bank, is not just having a bank account, but building a relationship, right? And um, if, if you are about to launch a new company and the first thing that you have to do is, is, is basically go into a debt relationship with the bank that can obviously like, you know, be, leading to a tricky or difficult situation so our recommendation in in that sense is um to probably um if, if you are in a very very early stage to maybe look for alternative sources at the very beginning rather than um you know going into a relationship that you know can give you little flexibility at a period where you know a lot of uncertainty obviously is is there right um the other point that I would like to point out, I don't know if this applies to every country, but something that I've seen a lot here in Central Europe is um, when you go to banks is, is, is their perception of the industry itself, which is BS in my opinion, because obviously we are talking about an industry that is worth billions, that is ultra professional. But when we talk to banks in the past and, and, and clients of ours talk to banks, some in some cases, and this is no joke, they, they For them gambling and gaming for example is the same thing going through kyc so know your own customer processes for example and so on becomes ridiculously difficult just because the understanding of what gaming actually is is not correct right? So, I mean, I can't speak for every geolocation, obviously, on this, but it's just something, it's a word of warning here that we've seen quite a lot that people stumbled across that when they come and speak to, you know, your typical bank teller woman or a man that basically is not trying to give you a loan, um, once you talk to them about click-through rates, how well they do, how good the cost per install is, the lifetime value, that's just gibberish to them. That doesn't, like, you know, help to get to the goal. So, again, you know, It's not going to be something that is applied to every geolocation or every country. Of course, we've also seen great, um, you know, development in terms of how banks understand gaming um, in countries such as Scandinavia, in Scandinavian countries, right? So, um, you know, I can't obviously put this across, um, you know, um, the whole globe, but it's something just to be very mindful about. In my opinion, we had seen those issues in the past. Um, Again, right, um, it's all about a little bit your company stage and and banks can certainly be very helpful but, you know, as a very first initial step you have to obviously look at um, all the different variables with a little bit of caution. Now, the next point is something that can be executed much quicker but it's related to banks, right? Which is when we come to talk about credit cards right Um, now when it comes to credit cards they can be quite useful um, in the sense of optimizing your cash flow simply because obviously when you think about you know payout delays that certain um, platforms have you can overcome those um, when you want to reinvest into marketing activities by using credit cards now that's good and it can make a lot of sense, especially if you want to scale your business in the sense that let's say, for example, you're an app-based game, you have Iron Source as a, a partner. It takes Iron Source 60 to 90 days to pay out your revenue. You're waiting for that. Using a credit card to for you know upfront the, the, the um, UA um, budget that you basically require can you know help you a lot to to move forward until you get the money back. Keeping in mind, It is, of course something that requires a lot of diligence when it comes to cash flow management right in certain cases obviously when again performance goes down you might end up with um, credit card debt which will have a similar um you know a um, uh, Similar effect on you and your credit rate, rating as taking, for example, uh, um, a loan from the bank. Right. So, in that sense, you know, we we, we have to be um, a little bit mindful about your own cash flow, which brings us to a very big topic that we're going to discuss quite a lot today: cash flow and how it's working. When we look at cash flow, obviously, we want to make sure that you know, different than looking at your P and L, that you know, there's some sort of like a reserve, especially when you're dealing with um, credit cards um, and, and handling those. What we've seen too often is exactly that, you know, fundamental changes. People are, you know, saturated with a certain game or this game is just, like, not growing at the same pace anymore. Something doesn't work in terms of, like, you know, UA. There can be tons of reasons why, Why, for example, income is not as high as a month before. It can be economic factors, for example. Um, it's just something to, to, to be very mindful about. Um, Continuing now with the next one and again like if this goes too fast or if there's certain questions again we're trying to keep it as general as possible because we have a global audience here today and um, it could obviously like you know um you know mean different things to different um, countries then just please what that could mean specifically for you today um when it comes to the next one this is an interesting one and this is one i would like to talk a little bit more about which is venture capital Right, venture capital is something that I've seen at various events and when talking to studios a lot um, in the last years for two reasons. First one is um, a lot more companies are looking to raise series A seed funding rounds. Um, Venture capital became like almost like a household term in the sense of what it is. Um, People are quite used to the idea of um, bringing, um, getting money in exchange for equity. Um so, so it's something that becomes more and more established, right? Um what's interesting to see, and, and this gives obviously a great opportunity to a lot of games um out there, is that there's not just general venture capital funds out there that are looking for AI or e-commerce or marketplaces or whatnot, but who are actually looking for game-specific investments, right? And and there's more and more of those game-specific vcs popping all over the world up from asia to to, to to the us which is fantastic it, it gives the market um, in my opinion a very different level of credibility all of a sudden because you have people who are trying to yield for very high returns or suddenly interested in that market which speaks for itself right so i mean this is just fantastic to see now when we think about venture capital obviously it has both it has two sides of, of, of the coin as, as, as usual, right? And I'm trying to like, you know, elaborate a little bit more on those um, today. And, and ideally, like if, if anyone here from a venture capital fund is, is listening in, you know, I'd love to discuss this obviously and, and have a little bit of a conversation or with questions from, from any of the gaming audiences. Um, when we think about venture capital now, um, we, we obviously have the flexibility that we see funds are investing in very different stages. Right, so if you've never looked at VC funds before, then you will see that um, if you are at a very early stage, right, um, you can look for seed funding um, or you look for what is called angel investors. So you're going like you know um, to individuals who are usually quite wealthy, which is not the same as VC, but it's kind of the stage before that to get you like you know the first five digit budget or funding um, sorted before you go to a series A. Right. now the series a in terms of volume and size what it is actually is varies a little bit from country to country in the us usually ticket sizes um so like the first investment ticket that is done in a so-called series um or in seed funding or then a series a in the second stage um you know can be um you know in the millions already whereas this, in, in countries such as Germany, for example, where I would say the market is still a little bit more cautious um, in terms of how it's investing um, and, and the country is obviously considerably smaller than the US as well. Um, we're talking more about ticket sizes that are around the six digit or another Northern European or Central European countries, right? So just to keep in mind really, we're, we're, we're talking about a very initial stage here when it comes to venture capital, where before you receive funding, the first kind of like entrance point would be angel investors which then mostly help you to open also doors into the whole venture capital space. It's a very small community. Um, so obviously it's, it's um, something to keep in mind and um, what route you're going here. Um, and it can be then used again and again to grow through different stages, or if you already built a company that has 10 employees and has several titles launched, then venture capital can obviously be a very good um, way of scaling that further. Now, what's the downside? Well, the downside is quite obvious because the downside is giving away ownership, right? But, um Again, this is a little bit of um, a question that comes to like you know at the end of the mindset. Like when when I was building the um, agency that I um, uh, that I'm just a board member of now, we we also had um, a family office and a venture capital fund joining us there. Now, what happens when they join you is they not just give you money and are basically a silent um, shareholder. They are quite active in most of the cases, which can be good and which can be bad. Right. So when it's a good scenario, then you have someone sitting um, as a board member and um, when when you have someone who sits on your board, they can, you know, give you advice. They can annoy you with KPI questions every Friday evening, but they can also obviously, like, you know, help you to um, maybe tailor your strategy in a certain direction that you haven't thought about, you know. All of us, when we build a company or a game, we get a little bit of what we call office blindness, right? So we stop like you know, looking right and left that much because we have that like you know, funnel vision on, and, and it's therefore good to, to get someone external on your board to kind of like, helps you to push in the same direction. I had a lot of those kind of sessions where I was really frustrated with having someone telling me what route to go, what what to do, because it's my company. I want to be the one who decides what to do. And then someone all of a sudden tells me how they think they should do it. And 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 they, you know, might not have the upper hand depending on how many shares you give away. But at the end of the day, they're RI driven, right? They want their money back. So they obviously are going to be very much focused on what gives them that opportunity rather than any emotions that any entrepreneur or founder might go through right? So they really have that unbiased, hardcore vision on how the hell do I get my money back? And that can be good. But sometimes, obviously, emotion comes into places which can, um, you know, be, become difficult situations. So on the downside here with having someone else sitting, um, you know, giving away a board seat, and, and not just a board seat, but also obviously in the equity is that you give away control. So um, you need to be obviously like in, in in that position that you allow yourself, the venture that you're holding um you know the studio or the, the just, if it's just a game that 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 you're okay with someone else like you know um, giving you input on this that doesn't have to happen in every case keep in mind. I'm trying to generalize as much as possible here today. There are probably VCs out there that are like more silent um, um, shareholders, but you have a lot of activism shareholders as well in this world, where people are trying to like, you know, really take the steering wheel away from you and, and, and going in a different direction. So it's just something to keep in mind when you like start having those kind of conversations. How actively involved are they? And how actively involved do I want them to be? um in a lot of cases obviously that can come with a lot of benefits of certain market knowledge industry experience just like you know um you know a wealth of knowledge and seasoned professionals that you maybe haven't had yet because you know you're in your early 20s it's the first venture you're building and that's absolutely fine. so it's just something to keep in mind um that you know you give a little bit of away control but you know the mentoring the funding that comes inside of it is very important um to to mention now Maybe this is just um, as a quick side note, um, we are very well connected to a lot of um, gaming specific VCs out there. Um, So I'm more than happy if you have a specific case that makes sense to forward, to um, reach out after this um, to us as well. And we're more than happy to forward it um, to people. So we we have agreements in place, where we're more than happy to make those introductions if they're like useful to them. So please use us for that. Um, At the moment, um, I know one of capital could sound like a venture capital fund, we do not um, do equity investments, but can help more on the introductory side of it. We are going to launch a fund that is going to help with that kind of sort of investments later on, um, but it is not um, operational as of, as of yet. Let um, me just to drink something very quickly. And if any questions guys, then please tell me. Um happy to have a conversation here rather than just a, dialogue um, a monologue i'm here so happy to have a dialogue rather than a monologue Um, coming to you know the next one and, and one that is obviously like also important to us which we see growing in areas such as the us in europe and in areas such as russia is user acquisition funding now some of you might have had conversations um, with user acquisition funds here before. Um, some of them out there, besides obviously OneUp Capital, um, are Poland VC or Bravo, to just name a few. There's not a many out there yet if you compare it to the number of VC funds or banks um, or, or crowdfunding platforms, for example. So it's something that you know occurred like in the last two years and is very you know steadily right on the, on the rise right now. But it's a very interesting field, and I wanted to take the time, obviously. explain it as well i don't want to like you know pitch too much about capital here today i rather want to explain to you the concept of ua funding and how it works um, across the companies that provide it right so that you have a little bit of you know an alternative to the other three that we've mentioned earlier now with user acquisition funding it's kind of what the word says right it it gives you the ability to finance and fund um you know operations and um, growth activities that will help you to acquire new users. Now, the definition that we basically put down for that is uh, we call that uh, you know um, growth um, activities through receivable backed payouts. Now, receivable backed payouts is kind of the key term here, um, and uh, we uh, when, when we start discussing all of this. Now, we have two different investment phases with um, a lot of those U um, A funds out there, especially with us, on Capital. Now, the very first investment phase is about cash flow optimization, right? So you have, just to exemplify everything now, I will take a mobile app or a game, a mobile um, game to to just like exemplify everything a little bit. You have, for example, in the month of February now, um, made 5,000 US dollars in revenues. Those revenues come across different sources. They come across, I don't know, uh, Apple, Google, if if it's mobile, they come through iron source. Depending on what platform you are using to monetize your game, um, you have different um, payout terms of those platforms, right? So in the example, in worst-case example now of Iron Source, it can take up to 90 days, so almost three months, until you get money in certain cases. On other platforms, it can go much quicker. The same applies, of course, if you talk console or PC-based games on Epic or Steam, right? Now, the issue with this is if you earned five thousand dollars in february but you have to wait until april or may or june until you actually receive that money you sit around and can't make any further payments now we are talking obviously about ua right now because that's something we want to grow here and that and and why that all makes sense i'll get to in 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 a bit but you know like there's obviously several payments that you might have to make but the, the key one that we'd want to talk about is reinvesting it into growth now if the money is not paid out even if you just reinvest 70 percent of the five thousand that we're talking about right now you still don't have it so you can't really um you know go any further now you can go and think about like different financing options of course um you know we mentioned credit cards you can use those but then again um you know you have to pay that money back at a certain time so that it can be tricky you know the time window as well so what we are doing here effectively is we help you to factorize those receivables that you have. Right? So user acquisition funds will pay out the money that you've earned immediately, depending on the supplier or the, the, the company that does it. And um, can be 24 hours, can be two days, can be three days, depending on the due diligence and other factors. For us, it's usually within two working days that you would have the funds from your account. Now, you now have that money to put that back into marketing and to use acquisition, especially that way you can accelerate the growth rate that you have, because if you think about a curve and every time you earn money, let's say after February, now it pauses because you can't reinvest. You only have the organic growth. You don't really grow. You just decline. So in order to accumulate faster, that growth, what we want to do is accelerate those payouts. So we want to make sure that on a weekly basis or monthly basis, as every time, basically, receivables coming in and money is being made, that you don't have to wait a very long time to be paid out. It can be paid out much quicker, which essentially is the first stage. The second stage goes a bit beyond that. In the second stage, we look further than that. And for that, you need a little bit of data. I know that there's maybe one or two UA funds out there that do it the same way as we do. Um, I obviously can mostly talk only for us, but um, you know I think it's a bit similar to the others. But I, I can't can sign sign. Um, I can't sign that one, um, which is going in the second phase is paying out those paying out money beyond the receivables that you have. Now let's stick with the example of February. You earned five thousand dollars across Iron Source. And, and Google, and um, we, we pay that out immediately. That's good. You can reinvest that. Now, however, you want to grow more than that, right? So what we would do and what we would look into is, as soon as we have statistically relevant data, which usually takes up like to three months at most, um, we can try to project future cash flow earnings. So we can look into, what if we not just pay you $5,000 today? What if we pay you $10,000? How would that affect your user acquisition? Would we still look at similar cost per acquisition, cost per install, lifetime value, whatnot, whatever you're looking at, right? Monetization factors and so on. Or would those numbers plateau or would they go down? If the answer is they would actually benefit from that and we all can make even more money, and it's a win-win situation, then it's a no-brainer. Then we can obviously say, all right, Instead of giving you those 5,000 today, we can also give you those 10,000 and help you to grow much, much quicker um, with a faster rate. It accelerates everything. And nowadays, it's about acceleration, about being fast. I mean, think about the ocean of competitive games and apps that are out there. How like you really stand out of that? You have so many markets that now, for example, have such easy accessibility to, um, you know, Building apps with so much talent and so on that we need to come up with like you know ways to say okay how can I take you know the knowledge that I have the the the, the talent that I have and and build something that I can show to the world that doesn't like just drown in this ocean. And that's exactly why financing is such a key part i mean at the end of the day we need to think about financing and marketing once the game is out there and those are the t- two key things and, and either just to sum it up now a little bit is you you go to the publisher and say look i'm a developer at heart that's all i do i don't want to be bothered by anything else good that's the route pursue it if you say no i want to aim for building a studio i have an entrepreneurial mindset i want to learn finance and marketing and advertising then then it's probably the other route and and then those different topics to start start making thinking and um, start making sense to think about right um now just to sum up uh, just to find um just to wrap up the the user acquisition funding side now um and and, and then we will want to draw like a little bit of a line here and 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 and, and, and like, you know, look at the pros and cons again and, and to summarize, and, and hopefully also come up with some sort of, like, you know, a solution moving forward, um, ideally, um, is, you know, it, it gives you a good ability to, you know, grow quite quickly. And um, other than using a loan, for example, from a bank or from a credit card, should the game's performance in, um, you know, future months suffer for whatever reason, and, and you can't pay back, you know, the entire amount um, that basically was paid out, then, um, you know, it's being percent, it's being adjusted to the percentage of revenue. It's being adjusted with a um, percentage of uh, of, of uh, towards the revenue that you're earning. So in that sense, you know, you wouldn't go into a debt scenario, which is quite important to understand that using user acquisition funding is not the same as debt. It's um, an alternative way of advanced payouts, but it's not Put as it also in the books, um, which is something to just keep in mind. Now, looking back at what you know, I've, I've discussed, and I've, I haven't got any questions so far. So, you know, um, I don't know if it's good or if it's a bad thing, but um, please, if anything is like you know unclear, or you would like to learn a little bit more about this, um, feel free to you know um, reach out either through you know um, the, the chat here.
0: Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket.
1: seeing Actually, there is a few questions coming yeah, up. Yeah, I'll pop some questions up. On, you, know, you want me to read them and then uh, you so can answer. I, them. I was on the private chat um, and I didn't see them, and now I'm seeing them in the comment section. So That's let's okay. go ahead. I, what
0: What I can do is I'll just pop them up in chat, and then you can answer them here. We have That's- from Mage Loop on YouTube. What are the most important considerations do you make at one up capital before making an investment decision? Is there any geographical limitations?
1: yeah so um that's that's a very good question there are some geographical limitations um at the moment it depends on the different ua funds out there um because again as i mentioned there's one ua fund i think that's based in russia that's really more for like you know the the asian markets and um, we are um, only focused on us and european based companies so the company has to be based in us or in europe um, that's the only geographical um, limitation when it comes to investment decisions some ua funds out there have um a entrance barrier they for example say you need to have at least twenty thousand dollars in revenue that we can pay out as an advance before it makes sense to them um for us we don't have that limitation so for us you know it has to the, the, the i mean theoretically it can be one dollar but what's more important than being one dollar is it has to be statistically relevant because at the end of the day we're putting our finance and statistics hat on and we're just trying to crunch the numbers and see how can we basically give you more money in the in the next couple of weeks right and if we only have a very little amount of um you know ua that has been tested before with that like one dollar in revenue for example that it gave us a return we can't make the decision so it has to be statistically relevant but you know it, it can be like you know as little as a couple of grand. I hope that answers the question, Mage Loop. Um, Shall I just look into the next question that was here? Uh, is it absolutely necessary to start a company to fund a game? Um, yeah, Cauldron, that's, that's also a very good question. Um, in my opinion, yes, it is. Because the thing is, um, well, it depends on your mindset again, right? Sorry. I'm just like, um, I just had to rethink this for a second. You can obviously, as an individual, start a game, and take the earnings from that um, you know, as, as kind of like similar as you would operate as a freelancer. right? You don't necessarily have to have a company for that. But now, here comes the thing. When you build a game, what you're doing, essentially, is building IP. And an IP is an asset. And an asset needs to be structured in a certain way. Now, a way to structure an asset is to, for example, put it into a company. You can become, I'll give you an example, you know, you, you if, if you earn money every month, right, you can become rich through that money. But one thing that you will not get is wealthy. In order to build wealth, you need to have assets, right, that can be real estate, that can be anything. So there's a difference between, you know, getting rich through monthly income and and, and building up wealth. Now, and that's maybe answering your question, like it's, it's kind of the mindset, you know, if, if, if you want to create some certain amount of wealth and you want to build an IP and you want to build, um, um an asset through that that you can sell maybe even in the future then you should start company definitely um i hope that gives a little bit of an answer to that um what percentage of games that you deal with receive funding um oh that's a good question i've actually never looked up a percentage uh, rate in that but as long as you fulfill the criteria of being based in the us or in europe you have a revenue stream of like at least two to three months that you know shows a little bit of growth, it doesn't have to be you know 100,000, it can be like a smaller four digit, um, you know, amount. Then the likelihood is very high that you will receive that stage one financing and the second stage financing. We've probably seen that like around 70 percent of the companies with go through the first stage with receive the additional second stage funding as well. Um i if it's a, a a private figure what's the industry standard i i wouldn't know what's the industry standard to be very honest but thank you for the question but it doesn't make sense to make something up here if i also don't know it um all right then we have guardian of um language uh, my impression is that venture capital investors aren't interested in early stage games whereas angel investors don't see that as an obstacle what's your opinion thanks for the question it's a very interesting one now what we have to understand is Venture capital traditionally invests into companies, not products. Right now, the thing is, what what game effectively could be described as is potentially a product. Right, so um, you are looking for someone who not just like gives you money for a specific game, but gives you money for a specific company. And this is where early stage can become tricky, because the way and I'm speaking just for the VCs that I've like you know met over the last decade and so on. When you invest in an early-stage company that has only one title out there, that's a very high-risk investment, right? Because you don't know yet, is the title going to work out or is it not going to work out? Publishers or UA funds work a little bit differently because we are looking at like a more UA perspective of it and so on. VCs are starting to pick that up as well. But um obviously that makes it a bit more difficult for VCs to uh, access the early stage because they want to invest into a company that, you know, they can build out and, and the game potentially has a little bit of a of a risk factor, right? An angel investor starts at a very lower entrance barrier, right? An angel investor starts at like, you know, um, four to five digit figure in order to, to get there. And angel investors often is a recommendation that comes through, you know, like your own network or something like that. People who have a little bit of plain money that can, you know, make 20 smaller investments and two of them are actually picking up to become very successful, which is then fine for them. They have a different risk approach in that sense as well. So it's, again, a little bit about being mindful about, um, you know, it's not just, if you go from VC, it's not just a game you're pitching, you're pitching a company. Um, Mage Loop. You're welcome Cauldron. you're welcome too um, i think that summarizes all the questions now um yeah guys maybe to just come to an end here and to sum up um, everything a little bit i mean please now i see your questions um my apologies for that um just feel free to um you know me- message anything interesting yeah uh, see if there's anything else oh there we got one Bold Spirit Game Studio. Are investors usually interested in long-term projects like games that are estimated to take around three to four years to make? Or is that too long? Thank you. Um, Interesting question. Now, when it comes to investors, it probably depends a little bit on what type of investors you mean. I would assume you're talking about venture capital here, but otherwise just send me like a comment if if you mean different types of investment. But three to four years is a very long um, period, right? Because at the end of the day, the way investment funds work um, is like this you have um, a venture capital fund that raises money them themselves they don't naturally they have a little bit of money that the partners bring in historically a venture capital fund has a guy that like built its own company sold it has a couple of millions Says, great what do i do with that money real estate is boring i build a receive fund i go to other guys get them as partners on board build lps build a fund that's good. Now, the reason why I'm telling this is kind of like to to expand your question. Now, those funds raise money on a mostly annual cycle, right? So they're trying to exit games after a certain while. And and if the development time is too long, then that could be an unattractive investment for them. I'm not speaking, again, for everyone here. And, um, you know, when, it, when we talk about VC, I have to generalize a little bit more because there's too little data and information about just gaming venture capital funds because there's just a handful out there. So we just have to keep in mind that the, um, you know, um direction um you know that they could be a bit impatient now with angel investors um you know that might be different because with angel investors um they have a very different agenda in terms of they don't raise rounds and they don't have to report back to shareholders like a vc does with lps right they have their own money so in that sense that could potentially be possible it is a different approach for angels than for them yeah so thanks uh, both spirit games for adding that in the comments um then the next one, um, sorry, I want to go on this. Um Divinorium, Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, how far in development you think investors would start looking into the project in a lighter uh, in a lighter light? Yeah. Um now when it comes to I can talk, I think the best way about um, you know, um, uh, UA funds, UA funds are only looking at projects that have been developed and um, that are launched that are live when it comes to investors and and we and see especially if there's a little bit of um track record then um, it's slightly different you can have you know a demo playable first version or anything that helps you to get the message across but guys keep one thing in mind right um you know visuals and everything is is good. But when we, um, as a company, I'm not talking about capital, the company before that, when when we pitch to venture capital funds, those are number guys, right? They want to crunch the numbers. They want to see like, you know, what what users could make, you know, they want to see a monetization approach and so on and so on. So, you know, even if you're not fully developed yet, have a proper stack financials ready to blow their minds with um that will help you tremendously because that's obviously like you know their mindset and what guides them in order to make um you know reasonable decisions at the end of the day they again have other shareholders that they need to provide a reasonable rest return on invest. not every investment has to work out i mean vcs know that it's usually like one out of ten or two out of ten but you don't want to be one of those so in that sense you know have something prepared um all right. I, I hope that helps. Otherwise, you know, if, if if it's not clear the answer or anything, please just feel free to pop in another question.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of questions. So um, what kind of jargon should people know, like term sheets, right? Term sheets basically means an offer, right? When an investor gives an offer. Um, so what other kind of jargon and things like that should people know when they're looking for an investor?
1: yeah that's that's a good question i mean you, you brought up um one that you know you really want to hear which is term sheet when you when you hear the term term sheet you know that you know an offer is basically um you know an initial offer at least um, a proposal is being made so sheet is very similar to that it kind of like lays out everything that potentially can happen it's not a binding offer in any way right so it's very important to keep that in mind it's 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 more like you know an initial proposal in terms of you know you give us um 10% of your company in exchange for 100,000 US dollars, right? Um, the next one that is kind of related to that, in, in order to just like you know blur out some terms here, is is cap table, right? Now, the cap table, and that's something investors are very interested in, in, in learning more about, is, is how many people are actually involved, you know? So, your cap table could be completely scattered, which is not always a good thing, scattered in the sense of you have your mom, your uncle, your brother, you know, your neighbor, ten thousand other people that you've like raised money from, like you know, hundred euros there, a thousand there, ten thousand there, that are all somehow shareholders. Clean that up, because investors don't like to have a shared position with too many other people that they have to sit on a board table. You know, so um, ideally you can bundle them. For example, so the smartest way if, if you already have a cap table that consists out of like ten family members and friends and family and whatnot then, you know, bundle them into a company that they all are invested in. So the investors don't have to deal with it. Best advice in terms of cap tables.
0: Um, makes a lot of
1: sense.
0: Makes yeah. a lot of sense. So, uh, talking about term sheets, I got a couple questions about, um, like what percentage of your meetings, uh, lead to term sheets and then what percentage of
1: your term sheets actually turn into actual deals? Yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. I mean, um, we have to consider that when, um, I mean, let's, let's talk about the first stage, right? Um, um, when, how many of the meetings turn into term sheets. If they fulfill the investment criteria, right, then it's around half of them, right? If they fulfill the investment criteria, which um, you will have summarized in the presentation that you will get as well, that we're talking geolocations, um a month available on the market data available um uh, and, and, and i think those are the two key ones really that we're looking at, at right when it comes to term sheets that are actually turning into deals it's two-sided right because we're not making that decision by ourselves it's also you guys that are making that decision you also need to be happy with the terms that you're presenting at the end of the day and this is maybe like you know when, when we think about in the last minutes about a conclusion here the bad news right the bad news is everything comes with an opportunity cost, right? It doesn't matter what you do. You will have to face it somehow. You just have to look at the lesser evil here, right? So in the sense of like, you know, a bank loan, it's 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 the opportunity cost is obviously the interest and the way you have to pay it back. When when you talk about, you know, even us, the user acquisition fund, you have a certain um, fee that you need to pay. When it comes to venture capital, you take away ownership or even a publisher, you give away ownership and an IP for something. The thing is, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, is it worth that, you know, opportunity cost? And that's something we can try to pursue you on, uh, like, you know, and convince you, but at the end of the day, you have to, t- to make the decision. So I would say of, of everyone to answer your question Dan, of everyone who um, actually has a term sheet um it's around like 60 to 70 percent. i don't have an exact number but just like you know roundabout that actually um you know goes to the next stage one thing to keep in mind is just the last thing they can be complementary right like we have a lot of cases where we work with games that we work together with venture capital on just to give additional boosts right just one thing doesn't exclude the other one right if you obviously are like completely crowded in, in, in a lot of bank debt and then want to raise venture capital money to pay that back, that's not going to work out. But um, others are very complimentary here as well.
0: Oh, that's really good info. So do you? um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will like, study how to do a pitch, you know, to investors. Mm -hmm. So do you do you often get developers? Maybe that you've turned down? Do they like ask you, what could we do better in our pitch? Or do you give that kind of advice as well? Or
1: Yes. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, to share a little bit of advice in terms of pitching. Um, I mean, I, I've done a fair, fair amount of that myself and, and, and when, when I was a little bit younger and, and, and I was building um, a, a company. I mean, it was more the ad tech marketing space, but, you know, the, the principles are still the same, really. And obviously, we are receiving a lot of them nowadays. And you look at this with a different light. So I think um key thing is I'm keeping it um, short and snappy. Right. Think about mm-hmm. it like. Handing in a CV, right? And um, you know, if you have a CV that goes over three pages, um, no one has time to read that. Most people don't really read your um, you know, cover letter. No one gives a shit about cover letters, right? So, so what you what you need to keep in mind is you're not the only one sending it. Keep it really short and snappy. Have you know, cover page and pages fine, and then maybe six to eight pages in between. Keep it maximum ten pages, right? It has to have not have too much written text and content on it when you want to get this in front of like a managing partner or director, not always like an analyst, you want to push for the next one um, in, in, in the decision-making role. Right. And those people, you know, they go home at 6 PM, they don't work always all nighters and, and, and they don't have that time to go through everything. They have two kids and a divorced wife that need to manage at the same time. Maybe. So, um, you know, point is keep it short and snappy is probably the, the, the first good advice. Um, second one is um, numbers right now with gaming it's about visuals it's about being bold and beautiful um i love it i'm a gamer myself you know that's why you know we're all here we love the art we love the, the, the feeling for visual but the thing is it only gets you that far it gets you maybe you know to rise an eye eyebrow and, and and to help you to, to a certain stage know your numbers that's key it's the same thing as in school you know we all like to like you know have art class or whatever or like you know the, the things that interest us and when it comes to like oh no knife i have to, to do math maybe it's not the most exciting thing but at the end of the day that's what gets you the money right so making sure that you know those numbers inside out and actually make sense out of them on like one of those pages just have a table that kind of like maps out exactly how you want to grow um helps you right so um you know I think that is something that we have to just keep in mind. That you know, that's what at the end a lot of them look at. And 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 it's, you know, you know, I don't want to be the one who gives like cold hard truths here. But like you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, a good, a, unfortunately, a game doesn't have to always look good to make money. And um, that's not something that I really like to praise here at all. But um, you know, when you are able to produce a beautiful game, and on top of that, you can also do good numbers, well, you're gonna get there exactly all right we've got time for one
0: more question and here's the big one i guess um so after everyone's agreed and everyone's like, okay we're gonna do it and the developers have agreed and you guys agree. how long does it t-
1: typically take to close it okay to close so, yeah it, it depends if you look at the user acquisition side funding side or if you look at the venture capital side of things for the user acquisition funding side the process is extremely quick so due diligence um takes it's, it's almost instant and um, we work in two different ways either we use an api integration so we give you an api key and and that reads our financial data and we're good to go basically and then we make the transaction the whole process takes maybe 24 hours right until you have the money on the bank account so that's short and snappy after everything's agreed on right um when it comes to um the the capital so the the, the equity side of things and 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 so on it it we are talking about like less than a month here we're talking about maybe one or two weeks it's it's not taking ages because obviously once everything is agreed um you know from a cash perspective especially if you have clear determined goals and um objectives that you need to fulfill or even milestones and goals then no one is going to hold that back because the people that actually you are pitching for they have that money otherwise it would be ridiculous and wouldn't make sense so um that is going to be paid out quite quickly um again with ua funds in our case, it takes once everything is agreed, um, 24 hours until it's um, transferred. Yeah, so that's that's quick. That's like bam. Um, that's technology. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and I mean, even um, transactions from Europe to the US, it, we're, we're not right. talking three really working days anymore, guys. I mean, um, I mean, that's ridiculous if anyone tells you that it takes that long. Yeah, time is running. You're absolutely right. Oh,
0: time is money. Okay, so here's, here's something because we have oh, a sorry, more minutes, so we have a couple more minutes. If you've got a couple more minutes, um, yeah. how often does something you make in or something you you invest in and it fails? What's what's that kind of? Uh, could it's, you talk it, a little bit about that? It, it's to, a
1: very it's a very good question. Um, so. There's two things again on it, and I always need to differentiate here between, you know, the type of investing. I'm now only speaking about VC and um, UA funding. Now, for UA funding, it's actually not um, so critical because for the first investment stage, we are only financing money that is already being made. It's just not paid out to you yet, so it's in advance, so we're going to receive it at some point. Um, The only risk is if, for example, uh, Google, Apple, goes bankrupt or um, you know uses to pay out but that would like duck up the entire industry so that would be really bad Um, but when actually it comes to the second um, payout phase and we give you money beyond those receivables and um, you don't earn that money so let's for example say we give you 10 grand but you only made 8 grand now those two grand that have a delta we can right quite easily um, take care of that by um, agreeing mutually on a percentage of future revenue let's say for example five percent every month that you would give away that you can afford to actually pay that back right and that's really different to to then to using a bank that says every month this is what you have to pay back and if you can't it's really bad situation so so in that sense you know it gives a bit of flexibility now for venture capital it's a bit more critical because obviously if an investment fails and, and what you define as, as a failed investment a company that can't be sold is not really a failed investment per se right it's just like you know maybe something that doesn't really like go the way you've planned it um a company only really fails then if, if it um, you know goes bankrupt or you know if if if, it, uh, if you know funds completely run out and no revenue is being made and that happens obviously and and that's a situation that is the opportunity cost of the venture capital funds, right? So also they have to think about their opportunity cost and, and, and what the downside here is. In a lot of cases that we've seen and we've worked with, money can be put after the uh, behind the company again if it runs out of funds, right? It depends a little bit on the individual situation. It doesn't mean just because you ran out of that money that everything has to be closed down, right? It depends on a lot of situations. So for example, in Europe, we have, through the Corona crisis, a lot of governments set up aid funds, right? Interestingly, a lot of startups haven't used those. Why? Because their venture capital funds have given them money to survive that period. Right? So it depends a little bit on, on, on the situation that, that we are in, but I found that when I read that like a few days ago, actually quite interesting. Um, if they completely fail and, and they go bankrupt, then that's the risk the venture capital funds has to carry. Right? That's obviously something that they have to keep in mind, and they're mindful about or they're aware of the, the idea that their way of investing is a very high risk, approach but that can also yield to a very great return okay that's interesting
0: so here here here's another good question uh, that just popped up uh what do you value most in a company that you're investing in
1: hmm um ah I have to think carefully about this one right um it Depends on the stage, but when we look at um, the um, user acquisition financing side, it's simply put growth, right? Um, we, we All we want to do is um, take the existing growth, as little as it might be, but if there's a little bit of it, then we want to take it and we want to uplift it. We want to boost it, right? If we can see that there's statistical relevance behind that growth, then we can take those numbers and we can actually make something big out of it. That's what we're looking at, right? We're looking at the potential of growing something. When it comes to venture capital, of course, we would do the same thing, of course, with a fund like this. But um, at the end of the day, it has a little bit more factors, right? If you, for example, come up with a um, you know a game that has um you know a way of you know making people and playing it that has never been done before that is basically you know something that's completely new to the industry you might even find people that are a little bit more risk of like risk taking here to invest into something like this because you know it it can change an industry right um so those things can be looked at but at the end of the day it's probably growth once the game is developed um and again i'm i'm don't hate me for saying this but you know you are in this difficult position between like this game is just visually stunning. It is just like something that has been, you know, developed with so much heart and passion. But you know, you have to look at the numbers, unfortunately, as well. So it is always like, you know, a two sided thing that that you know is is a conversation that we often have, unfortunately. but we want to find solutions that, you know, can, you know, make not just like like you know, like a free to play, um, you know, hyper casual game like always a success, but also like, you know, the more beautiful games um, you know, you know, relevant. So basically, what you're saying is you're
0: a dream smasher, right? <laughs> Smash people's dreams? No, no, not at all. Okay, let's see. Use hyper casual games,
1: guys. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's. It's it's really just about like, you know, um um about like how you present something at the end of the day as well, right? Like, I mean, as I said, what is the advice you give when you present such a deck? Of course, have have you know present your game in the best light possible, but don't forget about the numbers because the people who are looking at this, they're very numbers driven. They might be gamers, they might not be gamers, but that doesn't really matter that much. Um right. it's about financing here, and the talk is about financing, right? So it's just something that you know, keep in mind, don't hate me for it, please. I'm just trying to give good advice. But dream <laughs> Smasher! <laughs> no, no, it's
0: fine. Sometimes that, that kind of, you know, people need to get to real truth sometimes. And it is what it is, right? It, the game could look amazing, but if the numbers don't add up. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Guardian Language has a little comment here. Sorry. Finding angel investors is hard because they don't tend to advertise themselves. Do you know of any angel networks? Um,
1: yes, I actually do have that. Um, I will... Um, Dan, can I... Um... I have a public library of angel investors, which is an Excel spreadsheet, which is a Google shared spreadsheet, which is publicly available. Um, I can add that link to the presentation that Dan will send around. Then if you allow me to send you a second version of it. Then I can look that up, add that to the presentation, and give that for every single one. I think a lot of people would appreciate that, probably. Yeah, you could do that. You could even pop it in the chat right here too, if you'd like. I, I honestly, it's somewhere on my files. I would have to look it up now. I don't have it like at hand like this, unfortunately. But I, I can add it to the presentation. When are you sending that around? Oh, we're, when we're sending out information,
0: I think after the the whole conference is done. Okay, but and I, then okay. we'll be sending stuff out. No, we're going to send it out right away, right when this is over. Um, no, anyone else have any questions here? You, I know you guys have questions because I know that you developers are like, But we want money, how do I get it? Right? <laughs> so, pop some chest questions in the chat. About it. <laughs> uh, okay, Mark Christian Keller says, Yeah, I would I'll also appreciate that. Yeah, um, actually, great. I just uh, oh, here we go, let's see. One more, we can we can do one more question here from Div. Uh, got in the middle of the presentation, so you might have already said something like that. But do you have a file example of a good pitch deck, doc, et cetera, that you can share? Maybe you could share that uh, if you have something like that. Uh, we can put it in in the uh, in the yeah afterwards after the conference is over when we send out everything. And remember, you guys, to make sure that you get the uh presentations from all the speakers I'll put the link right there so all ticket hoarders you just have to get your passes from indiegame.business and uh if you don't have your pass then you won't get your info so make sure and do it oh then, oh,
1: then it, you- it, it, well I want
0: to answer this one more what's your favorite game at the moment what are you uh, playing okay.
1: Okay, I, I'm actually playing Doom Eternal. I know I'm very late to the game, but uh, big fan. <laughs> I have two children now, so I'm, i you know, everything takes me ages to play. And mm-hmm. um, I, I picked up um, what was it, um, Borderlands Three, which took me like a year to get close. And um, yeah, then then you know, it was. You
0: know what I'm playing right now is Neon Abyss. It's an amazing game. I love I'm it. It was so one of my excited. favorite. I'll just one of my favorite games from last year. <laughs>
1: yeah, was well, it's, it's, all it's, right. It's, we, we're gonna have to get out of here
0: we have our next our next um talk here where are we at on our list doo, 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 doo. um m a and investments landscape in 2021 guys thanks so, so much. here we go thank you so much max well, i appreciate you so much thank you bye bye everyone bye